everyone. Welcome back to the Film Fund Podcast. I'm your host, founder, and executive producer at the Film Fund, Thomas Verity. I'm also an award-winning filmmaker, producer, and film festival judge. I started the Film Fund to give filmmakers an easier, alternative way to get their films funded. Instead of working on a screenplay, crowdfunding campaign, or grant application, you write one sentence pitching your film for a chance to receive up to $10,000 and other prizes to make it. Our summer 2022 narrative and documentary funding contests are now closed, so thank you everyone for entering. And we are, well, actually, I have to adjust my script here. We actually just announced the winners yesterday via our email newsletter, so congrats to them. Check us out at thefilmfund.co for more information. I want to remind listeners that contests do happen regularly, so if you are listening at a later date, check the website out for the most up-to-date information. Today we have a unique guest. We don't have a filmmaker or a producer, but we have Joshua Eric, who is a professor at Lehigh University, who is actually my professor at Lehigh University during my undergrad. He was in, uh, I did some capstone courses with him, and then I also did an independent study with Professor Eric uh, Joshua um, to flesh out the film fund before I took it into my master's program and expanded it there. Um, I'm so used to calling him Josh, so uh, we will go with Joshua. Yeah, feel, free to, feel free to call whatever. <laughs> okay, um, just off the cuff, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's been there literally since day one. I had an idea for, in, in the first capstone course, we had to do a project, and it was like medical-based. It was something in the healthcare industry, and I think it was a good idea, but it was just not what I was passionate about at all. It was how to find a surgeon if you were having a surgery. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you know I've had a few spinal surgeries, so it was like very much in that time, and I was taking what I was going through in life and making it into a service-based business. And at the end of the semester, Josh goes, you know, Tom, this is really great. Um, you know, you're going to give you the A or whatever, however we handle grades. He says, but how about next semester in the next capstone course, you do something you're actually interested in, something you're actually passionate yeah. about. And that really resonated with me because I'm like, you're right. I don't care about <laughs> the healthcare industry so much. And it's really boring to me uh, at times. So I was trying to raise money for a short film from a script that I wrote, Son of Blackbeard. I was like, okay, well, why don't I try to solve that problem, raising funding? So Josh has been there literally since day one, the inception of the film fund and the idea. He's been such a good resource to me, um, one of my early mentors, and I can't thank him enough for coming on the show. Um, Professor yeah, Eric, could you give us uh, some um, more info about you? Yeah, your background? thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, so first, I think in the uh, previous example, you spoke about the launching ventures course, and uh, I think you learned about founder market fit pretty fast. Right. So uh, because I think uh, for you, it was a problem that you dealt with, but it was not something you had any kind of domain expertise in. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. So I think founder market fit is really, really important. But you always had the passion for what you're doing now with Film Fund. Uh, but also you have the talent and plus there's a market need. And I think you have to have the, the, all three of them to really succeed. So 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 kudos to you on that. Uh, yeah, so I'm a professor of practice at Lehigh University. Uh, I teach uh, entrepreneurship, innovation, and strategy. And uh, so I get the good fortune of working with folks like Tom uh, every semester. So I think my job is pretty easy, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, and it's been kind of cool to see you kind of go from, you know, you, you had a bunch of different ideas. And then you kind of said one day, hey, I'm going to try to democratize independent filmmaking. Right, because it's not it's not super convenient to break in. It's not fairly accessible, right? And uh, quite frankly, it takes a lot of time and resources. So how do I kind of open that up for everyone? And I think that's really your why, and I think that's really what makes this you know a success that it is today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. Um, 
I would like working with myself too because I'm awesome. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, talk, talking about domain expertise and all the different types of students you work with um, in those capstone courses, is it a challenge, you know, going from industry to industry? Like I'm sure you see almost every industry and interest um, across the board. Like, do you have, are there industries that you see more common than others or is there like how do you handle i guess applying that skill set that you have to different types of projects yes we're talking about film but then there's also yeah you know manufacturing or whatever you have right right and 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 all of them are are equally great right so but there's a few different things going on and i think first is that a lot of folks when they're younger like you don't know what you don't know right so in this case I'm generally unconventional in my advice. So I, I recommend students actually, as an entrepreneurship professor, I recommend students actually do paid discovery. Go out there and learn on somebody else's dollar, understand what the real problems are, develop that kind of domain expertise, and then put two and two together and, and start building something at that point. And uh, so I think that's kind of unconventional, but at the same time, I think it's what most people, uh, most students, right? You know, 21, 22 is exactly what they need. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of folks in these courses also, uh, they want to be entrepreneurial. They want to get the skill set and the mindset, but they don't necessarily want to like kind of go out there and make it happen right away, uh, which is completely okay. Maybe they just want to be in the ecosystem. Maybe they want to apply the skills, the mindset to their existing organization. Uh, you know, as I've said to you before, 20 years ago, uh, you know, I had a company while in undergrad and, uh, you know, I couldn't listen on my resume because I was viewed as a flight risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was directly from career services at the time, which was great advice then. Uh, but now if you don't do anything entrepreneurial, uh, companies love it. They want to see it. And if you do a project, you know, it, it helps you get a job. I can't tell you how many students in the capstone courses have, have been able to be successful in doing it. I would say only maybe like five or 10 or 10% of the students who actually take these courses though, like yourself actually like become real deal, right? Like they go out there and mm-hmm. make it happen. Uh, but I think like life, uh, I think entrepreneurship and life are kind of a one journey, right? They're parallel with each other. And uh, I think it's really important to kind of understand who you are, right? And what you're comfortable with. Because, uh, you know, I, it, it's, uh, there's two very different paths. One is about stability and security. And, and the other is about, <laughs> I don't want to say instability and insecurity, but if you do it right, most days it's going to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um... That's definitely great advice. Yeah, I mean, I've I definitely had to deal with the decision, like, do I list these projects on my resume when I'm applying for jobs? And it really depends. Like, if you're applying to a startup versus a big company, I've seen sometimes startups. I mean, depending on the industry, maybe like they don't want to see what you're working on uh, sometimes. So like, it it depends. Um, but you learn so much, company. right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, this is why it's a flipped classroom. This is why it's about real life application. It's not about regurgitation, memorization, reading from a textbook. And, you know, I think you probably learned a tremendous amount just in the past few years, more so than, you know, anything I could have probably taught you at this point in the classroom, right? You gotta, yeah. I mean, you gotta learn by doing, right? And, uh, yep. you know, uh, and if you're, you know, and, and I kind of subscribe to, this is kind of a little controversial, but I, I really appreciate the quote, nobody cares, try harder, right? It, but it is lonely. It is a very lonely environment and, uh, you know, and, and I think you just got to keep doing it. And, uh, and I think that prepares you for life and whatever you decide to do. Success is what you make of it. Yeah. And what I always loved about your courses was that you give the students the freedom to learn, to do that discovery. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the, 
the basic framework for what you have to do. We need deliverables every week, but I need you to set those deliverables. I need you to figure out kind of what to do. Like you in, in the, I forget the number of the course, but the first capstone course, you teach kind of the process of entrepreneurship, how to create something, how to start. Um, and then the second course is like, all right, let's actually create something. Um, so I just thought that was always so cool. And we, you know, we talk about film school versus doing it yourself a lot on the podcast. Um, I haven't gone to film school. Um, I was saying not yet, but I hate to rule anything out, but I don't think I'm going to go to film school at this point. But yeah, uh, you never want to, yeah, you never want to kind of cross everything off the list, right? Yeah, like life works really weird ways. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a chance they might, but um, I think film school can be great because it can tell you like how to do it, but you're really not going to learn until you get on set. Um, that's, uh, you know, that everyone has said that who's come on the podcast, even if it's a set in film school, film schools are great. They give you resources, they give you um, a community, they give you crew and talent right there, but you're not learning how to make a film in the classroom. You're learning how to make a film on set. So I, that's one parallel I think I've drawn um, right now on this podcast, just remembering your courses and the freedom that you gave me. Yeah. Like if I said, I want to go on set to do discovery, you'd be like, great, go make it happen. Yeah. Figure um, it out. Right. So but yeah. that kind of raises the question of like, what is the future of film school? Cause I think about this a lot with higher ed, uh, mm. you know, what does the future of higher ed actually look like? Right. Is it, is it more application based? Right. Is it more platform based? And I say this for both higher ed and film school as a whole, right? Like, uh, because the way folks consume content is very different than when content was created in you know the traditional means of of higher ed or, or, or film school, right? Content, uh, you know, professors used to be uh, gatekeepers of scarce content. Now there's an overabundance of content, right? And I, I almost feel like I'm less of a professor and more of a facilitator uh, of of the noise, right? And mm -hmm. and even with Gen Z, the first generally uh, digital uh, digital generation here it's really interesting to see how they communicate with content, right? I mean, because it's all very short form content creation and dissemination. Like they've, they've kind of vertically integrated themselves, right? As, as individuals. Yeah. And then how does that look in terms of how we all view uh, content in the future? We've generally done it as a mass consumption level, but it's, I think it's going to be very individualized and personalized. And I think, you know, platforms like TikTok, you're already seeing that, but I think it's going to become a lot more mainstream uh, mm -hmm. in the future. But to me, it also creates an opportunity because I think there's a disconnect between generations right now around that, around how they create and consume content. Yeah, and it's changing. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily want to say the day to day, but it kind of is. I mean, when I first started writing up the business model for FF Branded, I was doing research. That's our agency side of the business yeah. where we take members of the film fund community and create paid opportunities for them to work on set for other companies making branded videos. Everything I was reading was like oh, long form companies want long form uh, branded content, branded entertainment that you want to educate and entertain your audience. I mean, now it's like TikTok, you know, short form, you know, so we're doing these long form videos, but we're cutting them down and it's just constantly evolving. So, um, I mean, yeah, with film school, I think it's definitely going to depend on, you know, you're still going to have your traditional, movie making curriculum and all of that. But I think you're going to start seeing courses that are a lot more geared toward digital content creation yeah. um, and this this younger generation for sure, because they're growing up with like one of my friends, uh, she's a little bit younger than me. She's like 11,000 TikTok followers. Yeah, I'm just like, and she's making these videos. I'm like, why are you working in project management? <laughs> yeah. Go, go leverage that. Well, that's um, the disconnect I was talking about as well, because if you're 19, 20 years old and this is how you consume content, you know, create content, communicate with folks. 
And then you have somebody at the front of class who doesn't understand that. Right. I mean, I think it's a challenge, right? But I think it's a yeah. huge opportunity for higher ed. And I'm, I'm quite frankly, it'll be really interesting to see whether they, they kind of take the baton and run with that or not. So, but I also think there's a great opportunity to be a platform play where you can, there's so much content generated, whether it's in class with you a few years ago or whether it's in a film school setting that's never visible, right? And, and it never like fully promotes your personal brand as well as the brand of the film school or, you know, of the higher ed institution, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is a residential experience, but I feel like you're leaving a lot off the table, right? For folks who maybe don't want the residential experience, but who are equally qualified, uh, mm. you know, and maybe there's different kind of tiers in terms of access and, and, and so forth that kind of give you that experience, right? It's all about experience, uh, whether you're doing a film. I'm not a producer, you know, like yourself, but if I was producing a film, right, it, it's all about the experience that the viewer has. But, but I don't think it's any different whether you're a student in a classroom going to, you know, the store down the street. Uh, or, you know, or, uh, you know, in film school. So I think it's, it's become all about the experience. How do you differentiate yourself otherwise? Mm. Yeah, great advice. So, um, I don't know. I think you have an opportunity there, quite frankly. I think, you, you know, if you're kind of trying to democratize independent filmmakers, I mean, perhaps there's an opportunity to democratize or, you know, uh, film school or potentially yeah. change the way it's done. Yeah, I mean, I was just while you were saying all that, I was thinking of an idea for maybe it could be a service we launch um, like an at and maybe schools do this and maybe they ship equipment. I don't know, but kind of like an at home film school package where it's like kind of hybrid where we create these environments in, in cities where people get to be on set and they get to learn hands on. Um, but it's remote. I don't know. Just uh, thinking of. And you're doing a yeah, built-in community as well. So you already have a built-in community with the film fund. So that could be a natural extension. And you could have some yeah. key partnerships with folks within those communities that may be existing institutions that perhaps have the accreditation piece as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. So. Um, definitely look at that. We were, before we started rolling, we were talking about something Joshua said to me uh, when I was a student. Uh, uh -oh. He said, <laughs> Tom, you're one of the things I think you have a challenge with is you're always trying to do four different projects at once. Um, and as you just listen to this conversation, it's all over the place. We're talking about film school. We're talking about higher ed, TikTok, Gen Z. And one thing um, Joshua likes to talk about is intentional focus. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that term and what you mean by it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like yourself, I like to go in all these different directions. And I think fairly recently, uh, I think focus has always been something that's really important if you're going to build a company, but I also think in life, right? I mean, in entrepreneurship, you talk about limited time and resources as you search for your business, uh, business model, get product market fit, whatever it might be. Uh, but I think in your personal life as well, uh, one thing that I'm really into, uh, and I've been doing this for probably about 10 years or so is, is life design. Uh, and it became, it became actually something cool during COVID, right? Because every, all of a sudden everyone's like, Hey, uh, you know, life design actually might sound kind of important. And all I mean by that is simply that, uh, we, you know, generally we've, we've let our business model dictate our life, not our life design dictate our business model. And so I kind of mm -hmm. flipped the, the script in that sense. And I think kind of learning about who you are and kind of being internal allows you to kind of get that focus, right? It, it would be great to play in all these different areas, but, you know, and it, it's, that's that explore mindset that we talk about. And, and, you know, if you have, I, I mean, I personally have ADHD, right? So, so I like to be in a lot of different places and think on a higher level all the time, but 
that being said, uh, it doesn't necessarily help me, right? Because then, you know, uh, because I, I talked about before that these three pillars of passion, skill set, and market need, right? Like, how do you develop domain expertise if you're kind of bouncing everywhere all the time? Or how do you truly cultivate your community if you're bouncing around all the time, right? Now, the discovery process might have you kind of, you know, iterating, pivoting, whatever it might be. But at one point, you've got to have some kind of fit. And, uh, and I think that's not only professionally, but I think that's personally as well. And uh, so and I think you, you have to have intention in doing that. And I think it's one thing to just keep exploring. I think it's another thing to create structure and accountability around that personal inner focus. And then how does that relate to your personal and professional life? Uh, I think maybe that just comes with experience and maturity. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a challenge, right? How do you create that structure and accountability? And I'd recommend, you know, creating like a personal board or, you know, advisors or accountability partners to kind of kind of put you down that path. But an intentional focus is also hard because, uh, you know, you got bills to pay, right? Like we all have to pay the rent at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so sometimes that reality makes it hard to truly hone in on what you want to focus on because building a business takes time. You know, there's a, right. Like we talk about, you know, a burn rate, right. Or, you know, negative burn rate. And, and, you know, like how long does that last? Right. How much is your personal runway, you know? Uh, and, and that's all really important. And, and so how do you kind of, how do you keep it real paying rent, but also, you know, have that, that focus. And then can you define burn rate? Uh, for yeah, absolutely. That might not know yeah. That. So, so burn rate, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a simple level is just how much money you're spending each uh, month. Right. So uh, assuming you're bringing in no revenue, but uh, you know, your, your, your uh, gross would just simply be, uh, you know, how much you're, how much money you're spending uh, versus how much money you're bringing in. And generally you're not bringing in a lot of money in the beginning. So maybe I'm bringing in a thousand dollars, but I'm spending 10,000 a month. I've got, I'm losing 9,000. My burn rate is $9,000 a month. Right. So mm -hmm. if I only have 45,000, right. I better be calling somebody yesterday to raise more money. Right. Cause I only have five months of runway left. So. Right. And, and what did you mean when you put that word native in front of it? Native burn rate? Oh, I was just, I, I'm sorry. I said net versus gross. So oh, one, net. yeah, okay. yeah. One just factors in just expenses and one factors gotcha, in gotcha, revenue. Gotcha, gotcha. But in the very beginning, especially if you're kind of a, in a, a B2C, a business to consumer market, uh, chances are uh, revenue may not be uh, something that you're, you're generating quite a bit of right from the start or even B2B, right? You have a longer sales cycle at that point when you're just yeah. dealing with businesses. Yeah. And just, you know, thinking about intentional focus um, and really honing in on your project, I'm just thinking that thinking about that in kind of a professional sense and a micro, on a micro level in the film industry, let's say you're a director and you're just kind of directing every project that gets thrown at you or you're going out and like, I'm going to do music videos. I'm going to do documentaries. I'm going to do horror films. I'm going to do family comedies. It's like at the end of the day, you kind of have to pick one like yeah that discovery process is super important so you can find out maybe what you're good at what you like what you want to spend your time doing but if i go to a, a filmmaker's portfolio and they're across the board and i don't know what their their sweet spot is it's going to make it harder for me to really know how to hire them um yeah now that's different if everything they do is you know, amazing work um, and shows they have a broad skill set you know it's kind of two ways of looking at it but i think there does need to be a focus there on you know what do you want to be doing are you doing brand videos are you doing commercials or are you doing narrative um 
So I think even in the film industry, you know, you need to get to a point, and this could be mid-career, right? Like, I'm not saying you need to pick something from day one and do it, but um, I think having a focus there, a trajectory is super important. And it's something I struggle with too. I'm all over the board, um, you know, as a, and I have a few different brands I've kind of created for myself. I have the film fund and then I have FF branded, you know, one is the, the film funding and the producing for independent shorts and now features in a month or so that's the film fund and then ff branded is the branded stuff and then tav films are my passion projects you know i want to be a writer director who works in primarily black comedy you know dark humor um so i've kind of segmented them but to have them all under one like website i don't think would work so you need to if you're not going to there needs to be some kind of focus when you're even presenting them to the world just like marketing it yeah um, like okay here's how i do it here this is what i do here and this is what i do here um if you try to do everything at once it's just going to be you know uh what's a more professional word than cluster f a mess <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, well it's interesting though like the worst advice but the one i've kind of taken myself is uh my biggest biggest successes have been because i didn't have a plan b or c uh, which is interesting, right? Because you try to de-risk things. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's just I just went all in on my plan A, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes that, I mean, you know, if you read a bunch of, uh, you know, if you read about other entrepreneurs and people that have kind of made it as well, and and you know, that's generally been the case, actually, right? Uh, you know, so you got to be honest about, you know, what's your risk profile. You can de-risk a lot, right, through you know different processes and, and kind of lead startup principles and, and so forth, but. At one point, you kind of have to you kind of have to put you know the chips in the middle and 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 start playing, and and that's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to start putting chips in the middle and, and start playing, but it's also it's also good to know to when to hold them and when to pull them, of course, too, right? Yeah. So no, it's definitely but, you you do need to decide at some point, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to go all in with this? Like when I I did that when I quit my full time job, I worked for yeah. um, a digital agency for about a year and a half out of college. Um, Joshua actually recommended I try to get a job at a college instead of doing the film fund full time to de-risk. Yeah, uh, and get some. Look, can I add to that real quick? Uh, and we yeah, were talking about this beforehand. Uh, I'm a big fan of paid discovery uh, at the end of the day, and and simply mm -hmm. what that means is go learn on somebody else's dollar, right? Go work for somebody. Maybe it's in the industry, whatever it might be. Learn what their problems are, get domain expertise, and then take advantage of that, right? Uh, you know, and, because a lot of folks that will just say, "Well, I don't have a product or service, and I'm just going to go out there and 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 build something," and it's like, "Well, what is the actual problem, right? And and how are you going to pay rent?" It's a, kind of a theme here today, I guess, but but it, it's important. And that would be something, even a challenge uh, for yourself is when if somebody comes up to you and says, "I have this big consulting engagement, large company, and we're going to pay you," you know. We can pay you a lot of money to, to do this consulting project, but knowing, but so you're going to get a, a nice cash infusion, but at the same time, you're going to have to, you know, not work on the core product as much. What do you do at that point? Yeah, right? that might be rhetorical, of course, but I was, yeah, I was like, now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He's like, great. We're back, we're back in school. <laughs> but that's an important question, right? And I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of folks who've been, who've kind of taken that money and, and they kind of lost focus in terms of what they were actually trying to build. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not, look, it, it's a, such a circumstantial situation. I, I don't think it's, I can't just say, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Right. I mean, I don't know their personal situation, but mm -hmm. you know, as much as you can have intentional focus and, and even bankroll, right. By doing that paid discovery. Uh, so, so, cause I noticed most people don't have that, that risk profile, so to speak, to, to just make the jump, make the leap almost immediately. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and I and, and I found that that most people actually through a little bit of experience and paid discovery kind of learn what the problems are and and you know make it happen from there. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I was when I was working at that job, I was living at home. I lucked out; the job was a ten minute drive away from my parents' place, nice. so I was working on the film fund while I was yeah. working there. I didn't talk about it a lot. You know, boss knew I had it going yeah. on, and you live rent free, hopefully as well, which is which is. Yeah. I recommend anybody that can do that go do that and moonlight right like yep. so you know you work nine to five and then if you still are working six to twelve six to one right and we would just talk about life design so there could be some mm-hmm. irony there but uh <laughs> hypocrisy depending on the definition but uh you know then you'll see whether you really are in for it or not whether you really love yeah. it and, and whether it's something you want to do and it sounds like that's actually what you did yeah i mean i was even doing that um over the God, when was this? this around this time last year? I was managing a studio um, in Germantown, part of Philadelphia. Cinematographer I work with, he's been on the, the podcast actually, William DeJessa. Nice. He is a part owner at Rittenhouse Filmworks, and they needed a manager. Um, and, you know, FF Branded wasn't a full on project at the time because it was a pandemic. You know, productions just weren't happening. We were still doing the film fund, but I had this opportunity where I was like, I have a bunch of free time on my hands. Like, yeah, why not? I'll moonlight and do the studio job and I'll, I'll run the film fund at the same time. He was flexible with it, you know? Um, so then you have a opportunity to have two incomes for a bit. Now that wasn't a long-term gig for me. Um, but just in, if you're starting out and like you're building something, paying rent is super important. Like we talked about. So designing your life where you can be like when I was starting the film fund, I wasn't making any money at all, but I was wor- waking up at 5am working for two hours, you know, and then going into work, yeah. you know, uh, for the nine to five. So definitely, um, you know, you kind of kind of, but it comes to a point where it's like, okay, how, how long is this? Like, this is, that's not sustainable. I don't think you can work two full-time jobs yeah. uh, long-term. Right, so right. Neither of those things were the, when I was starting out with the film fund, working at the agency, or even last year when I was working at the studio and tr- trying to grow um, what I call Discontent Media Group, which is the parent company that owns the film fund and FF Branded. Long-term, that just wasn't going to work. Um, so you, you have to be intentional and you have to decide like, okay, what am I going to work on? Um, yeah. And there's no substitute for hard work. Right. So I think, you know, since, uh, like Tim Ferriss with the four hour work week 15 years ago. Right. And everyone's like, Oh, I only have to work four hours or you hear about this influencer who's, you know, they, they spend two hours a week or this traveler or whatever doing work. And, mm-hmm. you know, but what they don't tell you is all the work that they put in prior to getting to that point. Right. And then all the work they have to put in to stay relevant, given how mm-hmm. fast technology is changing and, and customer preference, you know, adoption uh, rates are changing as well. Mm-hmm. Have you read the four hour work week? I, I did 15 years ago or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's been probably about that long now. I'm losing touch with my ears, unfortunately, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, that kind of so you know that kind of got things going in terms of like oh well we could all just kind of automate x y and z and not have to work a lot right uh and and, and the reality is is that you know like if you're if you're not if you're not busy you're bored right and and that doesn't sound like a fun life i mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a big fan of having like a, a continuous flow state where you know i'm doing stuff that it's challenging but i'm totally engaged locked in on it's kind of like mm-hmm. playing pickup basketball with some friends right and hopefully they're they're good right so that it, they're <laughs> challenging in that sense and uh but at the same time like you're working your butt off like it's it's intense it's grueling but time flies 
right? And and that's I try to lock in on that flow state in everything that I do, and that that kind of goes into the whole intentional focus as well. So, do you have because, any tips on on yeah. getting to that flow state? Like, let's say you're having, I don't know, you you want to work, maybe you're having a bad day, and you're just kind of down or you're not feeling productive yeah how do you get in how do you get into that go process? work out for 20 minutes Good go do some push-ups right go, do, go run on the treadmill right? you know uh th those uh those bed sheets are comfortable right you know you could you could decide just to go take a nap or you could decide to go run the treadmill for 10 minutes and yeah. uh, you're gonna feel energetic yeah, you're going to have those endorphins right. going. And then you're going to be thinking as well. Work on your screenplay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think I think exercise both uh, mentally right, and physically is, is really important. And, uh, mm. you know, whether that's just doing meditation, right, kind of getting rid of the distractions. That's something I talk a lot about with not only students, with executives as well is around uh, cell phone usage. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, do you wake up every morning uh, with all these notifications and do you respond to them right away? Yeah. And Did then, I tell you about the, the my journey with the light phone? No, I don't think so, but I'll have to hear it. Uh, so do you know about the light phone? Have you heard of that? I, I've heard of it, yes. So I, I had it, for those who don't know, it's a phone that really doesn't have any apps on it. Yeah. Uh, they call them tools. You can send texts, phone call, make phone calls. It has a GPS. Full disclosure, though, the GPS does not work. At least <laughs> mine did not work very well. Um, it only has a couple of tools, and I did it for six months. Um, but I realized like I still had my iPhone with me uh, for Uber and everything like that. So I don't think it's quite there yet. Right. Well, and there's, it was, it, was, it gave me an appreciation for technology. Like I'm definitely having gone through that experience. Yeah. I'm on my phone less now. Yeah. And I'm not saying become a Luddite, right. Uh, in, in that yeah. sense, I, I'm, I'm more or less saying, you know, like own the first 15 minutes of your life every morning. Right. Like don't let kind of external stimuli kind of hit you immediately because then you're in like a reactive mode almost right from the start. Uh, what I like to do is, is wake up, work out, for, you know, first thing and kind of, you know, get myself in a good place and then kind of open myself up to the rest of the world. And, uh, and I think that's really helpful. And you have to do, if you have to do that at 430 in the morning or at six or seven, depending on your circumstance, then that's what you have to do. But, you know, but I think you got to look internally first uh, and, and, you know, and not only be okay with the person that you are, but own it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's really, really important. I don't think a lot of people do that. Uh, I challenge folks. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a fan of Carl Newport and digital minimalism and, and so forth. And, you know, like put the phone in a different room, yeah. right? Like use a conventional alarm clock. Mm -hmm. Like people are too afraid of being bored. And, and it's a really interesting kind of situation we have today. Now, I don't want to sound like an old man, of course, but because <laughs> I'm sure I am sounding like one at the moment. But, but you know, I, I, I once had like a group of folks just try to meditate for four minutes, just be in silence. And maybe it's not even meditation, but and, and I can tell you, like, people were like getting nervous because they were like, oh, my God, like, what do I do? Like, I got to get my phone here and, and, and do something immediately. People are so programmed to be glued to the content yeah and uh whether that content is, is video and film which we all love creating or if it's um you know little red icons popping out of a facebook notification unfortunately i think most of the time it's the latter yeah. um but i think that's really important for creating quality content too it's like detoxing from all of the noise yeah. and getting to that quiet space We're like okay i'm gonna sit down and now i'm gonna i'm gonna create something because if your mind is totally um 
just bombarded with nonsense all the time from your device, you're not going to have any like mental energy left to create something. Right. So I think it's, 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 it's life balance, like you're saying too, but it's also like, you need to free up your mind too to be able to create something important. And that's why I said, run on the treadmill, treadmill for 10 minutes. You'll get more of a genuine dopamine hit than you would by, you know, uh, scrolling through your Instagram feed. Yeah. And, and I'm not, once again, I think there's a, a place for all this. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I do think social media is a, a dangerous kind of situation for a lot of folks, younger folks from a, a, an anxiety, uh, depression aspect, right? Cause I don't think it's realistic, but, uh, that being said, I, I don't think you should define your life by how many likes you get. I think you should define your life by, by your inner purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm guilty of that too. Like I posted uh, a trailer for one of my passion projects, short film. I just um, am working on submitting to festivals now, the Toms. And I was just like, I was looking at the post, and oh my god, I'm getting more likes. I'm getting more likes. Yeah. This is awesome. People like what I'm putting out there. So it's it's as a creator, it's tough to balance that too. Yeah, it's like you're you're creating to resonate with people at the end of the day you, people want to watch your films um that's why you're doing what you're doing but and it's all about distribution for you as a filmmaker yeah. right I'm, I'm pretty sure producing you know it's not the product it's the distribution right and i'm pretty sure that mirrors uh films as well yeah yeah if you make an amazing film and nobody sees it there's no point right so, right so there is a reality to understanding all this for business mm -hmm. purposes right but i'm kind of separating the personal and the business yeah. And that's important. But for some, the personal is the brand, which is the business. Right? Yeah. Without mentioning, you know, certain influencers. Sure, sure. And that's that's got to be, I don't know, just a, a difficult lifestyle to maintain. I I don't think I would want every second of my day to be documented and yeah and distributed. Um, yeah. And I don't know how genuine you know some of those influencers are anyway. But assuming that is their mm -hmm. real life. Uh, well, you know, the first kind of mainstream person to do that uh, was Justin Kahn with Justin.TV. And and mm -hmm. you, you may have not heard of Justin.TV, but you heard of the company it became, which was Twitch, uh, which was sold to oh, Amazon okay. for a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, so I would totally check that out. Uh, right. Where he pretty much like just put a webcam on him and he just streams his life 24 hours a day. And, and they found that, you know, as they kind of went through the process and just had fun, they learned that people loved watching other people stream video games, right? Like, mm -hmm. Who would have known that? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of like one of the big things about you just kind of have to put yourself out there and mm -hmm. you have to be okay with like failing. Right. Uh, you know, I think so. Uh, so Peter Thiel, uh, who, you know, not, not going to get like politics about him because it's whatever, right. In terms of what, what people believe or not believe, but, but just solely as like an entrepreneur uh, slash investor, he always talks about like, what is your secret? Like what is something that you fundamentally know that a lot of other folks would disagree with you on, right? And and because if you want to create a valuable company, you have to have a secret because otherwise there's a lot of people out there already doing it that have a lot more time and resources, right? Mm -hmm. But secrets are hard because you don't want to be wrong, right? People have a fear of being wrong, but you can't fundamentally have you know have a secret if you're not if you're not okay with being wrong, right? Because mm -hmm. people try to avoid the awkwardness of of being wrong and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you have to fail. You have yeah. to try things. I mean, so you've got to be okay with being wrong, right? And I'm not yeah. saying you should try to fail, right? Because I think that also gets kind of conflated <laughs> sometimes too, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like we have this like culture of failing, and I'm like, well, I'm not here to fail whatsoever, right? It's just going to be an inevitable part of the process. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen every day of your life, whether you build a company or not. Yeah, when I made my first short film, 
it was terrible. I didn't set out saying, I'm going to make a terrible film so I can learn. No, it just right. happened. I was right out of high school, didn't have any film classes ever, no production classes. I put my friends in it from high school, and it was terrible. Like, there was no lighting, there was no, I mean, there was a script, but it was just bad. But I learned being on set, even though the set was me running around with a DSLR mm. on like winter break between semesters, I learned so much. Um, so, like, you have to go into it with that drive and with that you know inspiration really like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna create something awesome and then it's it might suck but you're gonna have learned so much by doing that and whether that's creating a company or creating a film um that, that goes really that's a really nice intro for my next question for you yeah. do you see any parallels between independent film producing and entrepreneurship yeah so um with independent film so i, I mean everything that we've talked about so far really it, it kind of aligns with that right yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, and it's interesting because you've got it. We talked about failure, but there's also a paradox of success as well. So in this case, the paradox paradox of success is you've kind of gone down that learning curve. You've failed a bunch of times. You're now succeeding, right? You get comfortable and with comfort becomes complacent. So how do you get yourself back to being uncomfortable, to not being complacent, right? To being okay with failing again? because you've got to be able to change and evolve over time, right? You, like it doesn't like once you hit product market fit or once you hit, you know, your first thousand true fans or whatever it might be, um, the game's not over. And, and that's the thing is like, like you, you produce something that's successful, right? Like what's next, right? And, and do you, how do you follow that up or don't you? Right. And, and, and so I guess my point is you've got to be able to evolve, but you have to find comfort in the discomfort at every stage. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I, I feel like, I feel like it's easy to say, well, I had that success. Now I can be comfortable or, you know, I'm in the classroom. I'll just do what's worked every semester. Right. And it's like, no, I mean, you know, if I could find a way to, you know, for lack of better words, cannibalize my, my, myself and my position, I would. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause changes are inevitably going to happen. Right. Like you're on your phone using Snapchat and TikTok today, your grandkids one day are going to laugh at you as if it was the most archaic, like yeah. technology like and process. Right. It's, it's going to be the equivalent of a tracks one day, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, but people don't see that. Right. They just see what's like right in front of them. Um, so, so I think there's, I think, I think that ability to evolve, kind of iterate and pivot throughout the process and not get complacent, I think it's something that's important, regardless of whether you're going into filmmaking or, or entrepreneurship. Uh, but I also think it's a parallel with the life. I think you've got to have that in life as well. Now, if your goal is just to be totally comfortable and, and just kind of enjoy life and, and not have to work, right? Like this is probably not for you. And that's okay, right? Like I don't judge other people in terms of like what they want to do because I think success has a different definition for all of us. I once, uh, you know, I once had a conversation with my grandfather who, who uh, didn't even, who dropped out in tenth grade, right? And and you know, he was like, Josh, like, you've done so many like really great things. Uh, you know, I could never, like, you know, I could never be what you've, what you know, what you are, right? And I looked at him and I started laughing and I said. You, you, you built your own house. You never had a mortgage. You've, you've lived with this really awesome woman, my grandmother, Bias, right? Mm -hmm. For over 50 years, right? And you never had debt, right? And you've, been, you've had great health. In fact, he's in his 90s now and, and you know, oh, well, and, and, and he's still, still kicking, you know, awesome, right? Like, I was like, that's success. I was like, if I can get to that point, like, that would be fantastic, 
right? And, and so you've got to understand. So I think it really becomes internal. I think you have to understand what success is for you and not what success is in externally, like how other people yeah. view. Because I always, my advice is, you know, I truly don't, nobody cares, right? I truly don't, I truly don't believe anybody cares and, and not to be insensitive, but, or to take an insensitive stance, but I don't believe people are constantly thinking about you, right? When you're, you know, when you're young, you always think, well, what do people think about this or that or what I do, but people have their own problems, their own insecurities mm -hmm. and adults are just big kids, right? I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't fundamentally change. Like we, right. you know, the context of the problems evolves right over time uh, and things that get you excited, right? Over time, like going to a party when you're young versus getting that Dyson, you know, vacuum cleaner. <laughs> right it just depends on the context and where you're at yeah. uh that may or may not be a true story in my life personally you know i'm giving a shout out to dyson but yeah. but uh so i think it's really important and, and i i you know I'm, I'm unapologetic about stressing you know like self-love and, and and who you are and then projecting that to the rest of the world and not letting the rest of the world kind of project that and define who you are right mm. and you know you got to look in that mirror each and every night and like what you see. And, yeah. and, and, and I think looking at success in terms of money or status, someone said to me once, you know, nobody wants to be the richest man in the cemetery. Right. Right. Well, but, but for some people, that's what they want and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, it's kind of like teaching an entrepreneurship classes. It's some of you are going to be entrepreneurs now, later or never. I was like, no, all three of them are completely okay. You have to be honest about what you, what you want. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, but be flexible to make changes. Yeah. Yeah. I think change is super important too. Um, oh, yeah. as a, as a business, you know, your business, this is something from my, uh, my grad program. Um, I don't think he's been on the podcast yet. We're trying to schedule him. Mark DeVink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. Yep. He, uh, he it, told me he left actually. He's, like, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's out there doing, doing it. Doing his own thing, yeah. doing, uh, LEDs and manufacturing yeah. and stuff. Um, hopefully we'll have him on soon, but, he said something. He's like, I think it was him. Anyway, I hope I'm not misattributing this. But anyway, he, he's like, you write your business plan. Then as soon as you write that business plan, it's out of date. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. everything is just going to change. Yeah, or like the Mike Tyson quote, right? Like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I love yeah. That. I'm not a big fan of writing business plans, quite frankly. I don't have my students. Do, I mean, you know that. I just do yeah, like a no, small I... deck, and then how are you executing? Right. I'm not an idea judge. I don't know if an idea is good or bad. Uh, you know, I would have thought. You know, uh, with respect to like Build-A-Bear or Snapchat, I would have thought their initial use cases weren't all that great, mm. you know, but it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the market thinks and how you execute on it. And that's why, you, you know, the only way to truly learn is by doing. And that's kind of why I view myself as more of a facilitator, whether it was with you or, or with, with my current students. Mm. And so yeah, and I love that approach because um, there's just so much, there's so many resources out there now, but there's so much noise too. Like you said, it's like, yeah. how do I know? if this blog I'm reading is legit or if it's someone who has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but that's also an advantage someone... too, right? Cause there's so much great thought leadership out there, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's in venture capital or entrepreneurship or even in filmmaking, right? There's so much great, like there are really respectable organizations creating really great thought leadership pieces that kind of merge mm -hmm. the conceptual and the practical. And that's quite frankly where you want to be. I, there, I don't think at the end of the day, there's, there's, there are certain processes and formulas that you can kind of learn from and take, whether it's filmmaking or entrepreneurship, but ultimately there is no, like, yeah, there, there's this, it's a long multivariate equation, but the variables change, 
right? Mm -hmm. And 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 it, so I don't think there is a one, you know, like a one formula or or one process that will define success for you as an entrepreneur or as a filmmaker. And quite frankly, you may be redefining how it's done, right? Because that's inevitably going to happen as well. And you know, if you're kind of imitating or copying what's worked before, you're probably not innovating. Yeah, and the circumstances are definitely going to be different for you going through something now than they were for that person that you're trying to yeah. emulate. So it's, it's all different. It's all changing. Um, yeah. Just thinking about decks that like you were talking about and pitching. Yeah. Um, got a couple of questions left. If, if someone's trying to start a project, uh, you know, whether it's a business or a creative project, do you think it's better for them to try and raise money from somewhere else or use the resources they might already have available? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of validated learning uh, because whether you're just whether you have an idea or whether you're, you know whether it's for a film or whatever it might be you have a lot of assumptions right around your mm -hmm. business model or around you know whatever it might be and the best way to you know to approach that is to do validated learning around like how do you validate those assumptions in like a time and cost efficient manner uh mm -hmm. you know I, i'm not necessarily a big fan of especially given all the tools out there and the ability to get i mean we talked about this before like you know you you know folks that have you know, tens of thousands of, of followers on TikTok, right? And, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's so many ways to kind of get like, you know, an audience, a community almost right from the start at this point, right? Like, you know, put something out there, yeah. right? Like, like, there's no substitute for that. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like going out and trying to raise a ton of money unless you, unless you validate some certain assumptions and you have, and you're able to like substantiate what your game plan is or, or you're able to have a more intelligent conversation about it, right? Because that's OPM, which is other people's money at that point, right. which other people's money sounds great in theory, right? It's like, it's not yours. You can, you know, it, it seems like no risk, but, but it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you want to take that responsibility seriously. And, and obviously they want to return, yeah. you know, depend, or, or unless it's like a nonprofit situation, of course, but they want some kind of tangible or intangible return, most likely tangible, right? And it is a bigger responsibility. If you haven't done your homework, if you haven't prepared, why are you taking their money? Right? Would you would you put, you know, would you would you go sink all of your money into it? If the answer is no, but you're willing to take somebody else's, I think you need to take a step back. Yeah. And that's a big part of what I built into the film fund because yeah. you know, obviously my methodology comes from I mean my life and my experiences, but also what I learned in the classroom with you and we talked about the MVP. Yeah, minimum viable product. Yep, talk about a lot on the podcast here. Um, and I relate it to film. It's like, okay, entering the film fund, entering a one-sentence pitch is kind of like an MVP for your project, whether that's for your short film itself or for a bigger feature film. Yeah. Like, tell me your film idea in a sentence. Okay, let's validate that. Like, yeah. if it wins the film fund, okay, you might have something there. Well, that's what I love about it, right? Because you reduce the friction to get people to get started, right? So it's more of like a concierge MVP where you're actually not really doing anything, right? Uh, you're doing all like the, the work yourself, but you're not actually building anything, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. and, and I think that's great because now you have people, you know, that are putting a point on the board. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're actually getting on the field and they thought it was impossible to get on the field before yeah. because we'll they have all of people email me and they'll say like all our process, you know, some, when our judges evaluate all the sentences and we decide on the winners, we contact them. I had some winners more than one will say, Oh, great. Could you tell me which was my winning idea? Cause I entered 10 and I just wanted yeah. to see which ones would maybe be good. Um, and so it's like, people are valid. They're trying to validate their ideas and, and there's, you know, it's a low cost, so they're not investing a ton of money, but they're able to, uh, 
kind of test, okay, like, is this worth putting more resources in? Like, uh, and there's a feedback service we offer now too. So if they get, you know, feedback and say, this needs a ton of work, or, you know, this isn't really hitting, versus this is really good, this is really well put together, I think there's something here, they're kind of already doing their homework before, like you said, investing that that capital, be it, or maybe even just time in developing the project further. So um, I'm a huge fan of, of validating assumptions and trying to test them, yeah. and I, I've built that into the film fund. But then one of the, the byproducts of that that I think resonates with your why with, with film fund is, is around empowerment, mm -hmm. right? because you're empowering people. And I think that's really, really strong. And the more empowered your community is, the stronger it will be, the more you can leverage network effects, et cetera. So I'm actually curious, like if you've seen what the, you know, how you've been able to potentially leverage network effects, even with the film fund and, and what that looks like in the future. Cause I imagine, you know, creating a community around empowerment, right. And, and where, you know, you can start out without engaging in the amount of time and resources that traditionally was viewed that way, uh, you know, can be, can be pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, I have a great example of that. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, we have, uh, some of our previous winners and they didn't win the main prize. We have, there's a company in Philadelphia, um, we have a relationship with there. Sometimes they sponsor an equipment rental prize, expressway cinema rentals. So they'll sponsor like a two day rental kit, camera lighting. Um, is there lighting? No camera and lenses, excuse me. Yeah. yeah it's usually, um, a black magic Ursa mini G2 for the gearheads out there and uh, a set of Ari prime lenses, um, which is a, an amazing setup. Like, you know, definitely worth you know, if you were to rent that, it would be, you know, at least a thousand, I would say, mm. don't quote me on that. But anyway, we had um, these two filmmakers win that prize. And then they then submitted to one of our branded projects for uh, one of our clients work bistro, we're actually shooting on Saturday. Yeah. And their pitch was so good, I think, because they had the confidence of just coming off that win of the film fund prize. And they're like, I'm going to submit to this too. And so we empowered them to kind of, you know, pick themselves up by the bootstraps and you know, go forward and be like, I'm a producer now. I'm going to produce projects and they're doing a great job. I've been talking with them all through pre-production. We're ready to shoot on Saturday. Um, and it was just a great way for them to get their name out there. Um, Scott and Sarah Narr, married couple out in, uh, out in LA. That's great. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's super exciting to see this community yeah. growing. And that's where the visibility aspect comes in, right? Cause it's all about visibility. Uh, mm -hmm. for, so, you know, you're not only providing that empowerment, but you're creating that visibility for, for the audience as well. So I, is there been, I don't want to flip the interview by any means, but, but, I'm, but, I, but I am curious, has there, been, has there been any kind of like, you know, you had these baseline assumptions with the film fund back in the day. Has there been kind of like things that have like totally caught you by surprise or like, it's like, wow, I actually never thought about that or, or things that have kind of developed within the community that, that perhaps you never thought would have ever happened, but happened that became almost like inflection points in terms of, where you want to take your business model kind of moving forward and, and as you kind of develop more scale and scope? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely surprised by people wanting, so like I said a few minutes ago, we have a feedback service now. That came out of people wanting feedback on their sentences. Mm. Like I never would have, like, if when I was first starting the film fund, I wanted to make it my secret, so to speak, I guess, to tell is I think everything should be as simple as possible. Mm. And that's kind of what I've built the film fund on the processes. When I went and worked for that other company, I thought their processes were very complicated and convoluted. Um, so I always want to, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Right. So thinking about that from day one, it's like, oh, we don't, you know, it's feedback coverage or something on, on scripts, but 
um, I was surprised people want feedback on their their sentence entries, and that's actually something you can do. There's a lot. I was surprised by how much detail people can pack into these one sentence pitches. Like um, when we have previous winners on the the podcast, and we go through their winning sentences. That's an art, by the way. That that's 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 an art to be able to do that. It's crazy. Like there are certain action words I never would have like thought to put in a pitch. Like you just so much emotion and so much conflict and so much storytelling power from certain words, whether it's like you know forced or you know, just vegan or just like so many words with certain connotations to them, um, you know, triumphed, just like very powerful action words. And like, we're able to write a few paragraphs of feedback based on just a one sentence pitch. So that definitely surprised me, um, you know, and that was kind of, I guess, a natural product development because we we're getting that demand for it. Like, okay, we'll, we'll launch a feedback service is what people want. Um, and just, you know, I was surprised at how many entries we got too. Yeah. Um, like kind of from the beginning, um, you know, I saw a copycat out there the other day on uh, online just trying to, you know, I don't want to say rip off the idea, but it was pretty much trying to rip off the idea. And, you know, their website, the links didn't work and things like that. Yeah. But you're going to have that. I mean, you know, yeah, su- no, I knew that, that was one of my success. Yeah. Like what I'm doing with the film fund isn't patentable. So um, I've always waited for that. But um, where was I going with that? Oh, you could just tell like, they didn't they didn't have a community behind them mm-hmm. uh, they weren't putting anything valuable out and one thing that's also really surprised me is the community aspect like i didn't i didn't start the film fund thinking um oh we'll have this amazing community like i knew i wanted it to be like community driven with the funding um it, I actually the first idea was to have a lottery but then i, yeah, I remember that i remember you were, <laughs> i remember some yeah. talks with some lawyers around that so yeah yeah yeah, like, <laughs> so, yeah you can't do that i found uh, one loophole where if i bought a bar I could run a lottery through the right, bar somehow, right. but I, I think I think I think we de- <laughs> think we decided to maybe maybe kind of pivot from that. Yes, yes, <laughs> no. we definitely pivoted there. Um, but just the, how engaged the community has been, like we created a Discord server. You know, that's very active. We have people sharing stills from the projects, and these are people who are not even winning. Because at the end of the day, I would say the major flaw with the film fund is, unfortunately, it's a contest, and not everyone can win. Yeah, you know, but you can still join that community. And the community is something that really uh, surprised me too. Like how, how just excited people are to be there and to talk with other like-minded people. Yeah, and 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 then a big thing is once you have that community, how do you leverage it in really healthy ways to understand? How do you create continuous feedback loops to understand where does the film fund go from here, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like you're like at the the he- you're heading it, right? You're leading it, but without them, right? Film fund, film fund is nothing, right? And, yeah, and I so, got nothing. I'm not sitting on a huge fund. Sometimes people think like, oh, the yeah. film fund, like we have. Well, I don't mean it in that dollars. respect. I just mean in terms of like the community is what's going to ultimately make the film fund beyond what it is today. Oh, and yeah. what is the community yeah. actually, what do they want? What do they need? And how does the film fund, you know, provide that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the solution to those wants and needs and, and you know, and, and I don't know, I, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of folks that have, you know, solutions in search of problems. Uh, you kind of had a problem in the search, in search of a solution. And I think that might've been a lot easier for you to actually develop this community right from the start. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, Hey, I just want to create a lottery. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> what's the problem I'm trying to solve. Right. Which, yeah. which might be a little bit more challenging at that point. 
So, yeah, so that's that's what I always start with. You know, what's, that's what I was taught by you mm. and by you know all my entrepreneurship professors. Really, like, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, that's where you know you got to start. Yeah, but the fact that you're out there doing, it, I think, honestly, you're probably learning more than a classroom could teach you at this point. There's there's yeah, no doubt no, about it. But that that foundation is definitely important. So I want to thank you. For no, I appreciate that. that for sure. Well, you, it's it's folks like you and and other students that make it easier. I mean, I've had a ton of students like yourself kind of go out there and they're actively either building companies, have sold companies, uh, you know, Forbes 30 under 30, or they're venture capitalists or real players in the ecosystem now. And uh, honestly, I, I, just, I, I just got to be a lucky spectator in it all, because I think all of you are like extremely talented to begin with. Uh, you know, Thank you. The, the, one, the one thing that, that I noticed with a lot of folks uh, that initially come in though, is that they, they say they want to be the boss. Uh, like, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Like, well, I want to be, I want to be my own boss. And I kind of laugh uh, in, inside a little bit when I hear that, because yeah, I don't think you're ever fundamentally the boss in, in, in life. Right. So like, mm. everyone wants to be the boss until they're the boss. And then you realize yeah. like, this is not fun, whether it's, you know, whether, whether <laughs> you're like, you're, you have people's livelihoods at stake that you've got to like, mm. make sure like everyone's okay. Uh, but just even in life, right? Like if it's not your parents, right. You know, it's your employer. Uh, or it's your spouse or your partner, uh, yeah, or one nice. or one day your kids when you can't take care of yourself anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know. So I think that's actually a misconception at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, definitely, you know. But but I'll be interested. You know, I've been able to be a spectator for years now, and 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 I get to you know I get to read the emails and occasionally update with you and so forth. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see where you take the film fund kind of moving forward, and, and you know. How does that, how do you further empower the community and, uh, you know, and, and, and how does that kind of merge with your personal why at the end of the day and, and, mm -hmm. you know, become the person you are and kind of evolve as a result? Yeah, definitely all interesting things. So stay tuned to the <laughs> podcast. The That's email. Right. We are uh, coming up on an hour, so we got to wrap up. We got one last question sure. for you. What is next for you in the next year or so? Yeah, that's a really, so that's a, that's a big question. I always ask folks uh, that, you know, I have guests speak, I've had you in as well. Uh, you know, if you were 20, 20, if you were 21, 22, like what would be, what would be the one thing you advise everyone in the classroom right now, based off your experiences? Uh, over the, so this is a really, really interesting time. Uh, if I were to say optimally, uh, it would be to, to have that intentional focus. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a ton of different courses, uh, a ton of different programs, advise on a lot of different levels. But where's that intentional focus lie for me? I don't, you know, it, it's fun to kind of play in a lot of different places, but you get to a point where you just, you don't have the time, the resources to kind of make that happen. So I think it's kind of been a personal challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. On a health note, uh, at the beginning of the summer, I gave up all caffeine altogether. Oh, wow. uh, and, uh, you know, which is, a, it could be an entirely different conversation all in of sure. itself, but, you know, I end up dropping like 20 pounds almost, you know, not overnight, of course, but during the summer. So I think it's about just getting even better health too. All right. Mm. So, you know, and, uh, and just surrounding myself with folks that kind of inspire and motivate, right. Whether it's you or, you know, or, you know, somebody who's older, right? Uh, you know, uh, I'm always asking uh, folks that are older than me, like, well, you know, like, what were things that you thought you should have done better at my age or whatever it might be? When you're young, you don't think the old folks know what they're talking about. And then when you get older, you're like, wait a minute, maybe some of those old folks actually knew a thing or two. 
right? And and you know, and that comes with age as, as well. So mm-hmm. so somewhat of an ambiguous answer, but uh, you know, at the same time, I'm really interested in where higher ed's going. Quite frankly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I have a tough love approach in the classroom. I hope I can keep that up. Uh, we saw with undergrads the uh, value propositions become uh, about the residential experience, and grad students it's become about convenience. So students are, you know, this is maybe shocking time, but students are actively thanking me after every class, right? Because it's like there's some gratitude going on there and, and so forth. And, mm-hmm. But I think uh, we have a lot of work to do. I, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a little comfort going on, and uh, you know, and I think that's got to change. And I think it's got to start with me uh, and everybody who's in that classroom, kind of representing those students, right? The, mm-hmm. You know, they, they have expectations, and, and they should, you know, they should. Right. I mean, college isn't cheap and that, you know, once again, that goes into a lot of other things. Right. So, um, but, you know, once again, if I'm not grounded, if I'm not healthy, if I'm not whole, you know, internally, then I can't provide that to my students. I can't provide that in my relationships. Uh, I can't provide it at home here Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, or in other endeavors that I might pursue. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why I have a lot of respect for you because you're like, Hey, this is my passion. This is something I'm really hardcore serious about. And you know what? There's a lot of other paths you could take right now. And you're like, and a lot of them might be easier. They might be, you know, financially in the short term better. But you're like, no, this is where I'm going. And quite frankly, like, that's respect right there. Because that's not, that's not easy to do. It's easy to talk that game, mm-hmm. right? Anybody's a Monday morning quarterback. But when you're actually playing the game, it's hard, right? And, and I'm sure you could, I'm sure we could spend an, an hour just talking about all those things that, that you deal with, right? Or that I've dealt with. And, you know, so a lot of respect to you and, and really to all the folks in your community who are actively trying, I mean, being an independent filmmaker, I mean, I've not gone down that path, but it's hard, right? I mean, I've seen, I've seen you, you know, I've seen, I've had another student that was interested as well, uh, you know, in terms of actually producing, uh, and, and, and it is really, really hard. I mean, yep. there's barriers to entry, right? Uh, you know, significant barriers to entry, uh, not only beyond time and resources, uh, you know, visibility, uh, you know, uh, it's just, there's so many different layers to this. So the fact that there's folks that are putting themselves out there right on your platform and saying, Hey, I'm okay. If I'm completely wrong, like that's where you need to be. That's where you got, that's where you get started. And quite frankly, you're going to have other people that are going to someday watch your film and be like, Hey, I had that idea. Mm-hmm. That's great. A lot of people did, but that was the person who actually executed on it. And that's the, one of the most exciting things. Also, thank you so much for the kind words about me and the, the platform and the community. Definitely the respect goes both ways. It wouldn't be here without the guidance you offered me early on. Um, but yeah, that one of the most exciting things is seeing these pitches. You know, I go through every entry we receive and it's just so exciting to like see like, wow, people have some interesting ideas out there. They're not afraid to get them across. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's definitely our community is really, uh, really exciting. And I'm excited to see where we can take it. Nice. Well, Josh, I want again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak. We are over the hour limit that I try to speak to. I had a feeling or that I try to stick to. I had a feeling that would happen. Yeah. Based on our it's a professor, pictures, professor thing. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for being patient with me with the time. Um, where is the, I usually ask all our guests this. Do you have social media channels that we could check you out on or LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. Would be the best uh, place? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best place. Uh, I'm not okay. on a lot of social media for 
various reasons that we spoke about earlier. Uh, mm. You know, I think they do provide utility, but but LinkedIn's probably the place to go. Cool. Uh, and you cool. can find all my contact information there. If there's something interesting, feel free to, to reach out. Uh, awesome. Sounds good. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. I want to remind you that the fall narrative and documentary contests are opening soon. So check them out at filmfund.co to submit your entry and check out our social media channels at the Film Fund on Instagram at Simply Film Fund on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Film Fund Co. And we're also on LinkedIn, just plain old The Film Fund. So check that out for the most up-to-date information. Check out our blog at blog.thefilmfund.co for great filmmaking and producing tips. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on what's happening at The Film Fund. We also have an ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Pre-Production. So if you have no idea where to start, what's a budget, what's a shooting schedule, what's a storyboard, check that out. We'll show you everything you need to know. And again, thank you everyone for listening or viewing if you're looking at the video feed and uh, tune in every other Friday for new episodes. Joshua, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I, this is great, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon.